0: Thank you, Tommy. <clears throat> We've met here for the purpose of worship, and we're going to be doing a two-fold worship today to be thinking about, of course, the Lord's table that I will be uh, teaching, and we will be celebrating. But then uh, on Monday, we have to, rem- have to, excuse me, it's imperative, we remember those who gave their life for our country for Memorial Day. So if you go into the fellowship hall, you'll see Tommy's got red, white, and blue flowers in there. And uh, we've got, uh, of course, uh, our Lord's table here. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. You use First John one nine. Uh, remember, our, we're going to see in our teaching today. If you don't use First John one nine, the Lord says I have no part with you. But it's got a little inter- an interesting twist. So we'll get to that. So again, again, use First John one nine as may be appropriate. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to worship, guide us now, and direct us. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, don't forget the place we have up here for giving. And remember how we look at giving. If you have something to give, don't give it unless you can do it with the proper mental attitude. And uh, in the event, you don't have something to give. You can give because you want to. So. Think about giving in that way, because uh, we're going to move forward first with our Lord's table message, and then we will celebrate the Lord's table, and I'd like to get it all in, but if I don't, I know uh, you'll understand, and the Lord will understand. All right, let's go forward. All right, the Lord's table. The Lord's table is to be observed periodically, as determined by the pastor-teacher in each local church. Now before we had the pandemic, uh we scheduled the Lord's table on the first Lord's table Lord's day, which would be Sunday of each month. Now scripture does not tell us how often we are to observe this ordinance. In uh first Corinthians eleven twenty six we are told, quote, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show or commemorate the Lord's death till he comes. So when we observe the table of the Lord, we show not only the world, but the elect and fallen angels that we expect his return first at the rapture and then the second advent. I want to turn the chart on just because we mentioned the rapture and the second advent. And uh, of course, there's the rapture which can happen any time. It could happen before I finish speaking. There are no signs left. Forget signs. As the Scripture says, that's for the Jew, not for the Gentile. So uh, seven years after the rapture, of course, we'll have the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll, of course, uh, return in the New Jerusalem and we'll watch all the events in the millennium. And uh, that will happen at a point in time later. Alright, so uh, so much then uh, for uh, the dispensation chart. Uh, and I'll leave that up for a while for you to study if you choose. Alright, so Jesus Himself implemented the ordinance of the Lord's table. I'm going to read you 26, 26 in the book of Matthew reading through verse 29. It says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to His disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is My body. Then He took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. And then we have, This is My blood of the covenant, our Lord said, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. And of course, that's uh, as we pointed out on the chart, when He will be giving it uh, as a means of indicating this is what I told you about and this is what is happening. I'm with you on the earth. And that will be at the return of the Lord, of course, in His millennial reign. All right, Paul rebuked the Corinthians for their abuse of the Lord's table. Uh, you, I've talked many times about how, what honorary bunch that Corinthian gang was. This will give you an idea uh, as Paul wrote to them in the 11th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. And we'll read the 17th verse through the 22nd. It says, In the following directives I have no praise for you, For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. In other words, there will be mature believers and there will be immature believers. But when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you then goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. All right, Paul provided the church at Corinth instructions concerning the mechanics of the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23, and we'll read through verse 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, after supper, He took the cup, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So it's a witness not only to others, but also to the angels that you know he's coming back. All right, The time of the inauguration of the Lord's Supper was the Passover meal. Uh, of circa AD33. Now the Passover recall was a commemoration of the passing over the, of the death angel in circa 1450 BC. It also anticipated the death and victory of the Jewish Messiah to come. So the Passover, like other Jewish festivals, taught of that which was to come. In the case of the Passover, It taught of the Christ as the ultimate sacrifice, the final efficacious paschal lamb. So the disciples and Jesus had gathered uh, together for the evening meal, which would begin the Passover celebration and the feast of the unleavened bread. Jesus ate this last supper as a special commemoration of his coming spiritual death on the cross. It would also be a reminder for all his followers from that day forward that one day in the future he would return. So, so he had a meeting, of course, a dinner meeting, if you will, where all the disciples appeared, all twelve, including Judas Iscariot, and they all sat down to eat, and it will be there that he will teach them. Not only will he teach them there, but he will also teach them as they made their way up uh, the mountain. Uh, And uh, it's important for us to understand it wasn't just that which he taught as we find in certain of the Gospels, but we also have that is synoptic Gospels, but also in the book of John we learn additional things that he taught. So today, when we, as church-age saints, celebrate the Lord's table, as we're going to do today, our gaze is directed to the rapture of the church. The Passover has been replaced by the Lord's table. Christ became the real Passover lamb, the perfect sacrifice. As a result, there would be no need for any future Levitical offerings. The unique birth, death, and resurrection of God's only begotten made possible our so great salvation. Now the writer of the book of Hebrews makes this clear. We don't know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Therefore, I like to call him, as Colonel Theme called him, Andy Anonymity, because we're not real sure who wrote it, but we know, it. of course, uh, uh, there are many different ideas that float around. But uh, since uh, as I uh, heard one pastor say one time, if he had wanted us to know who wrote it, he would have made it clear. Uh, Alright, I'm going to read you again. It was written in 68 A.D. It's an excellent uh, book from many, many respects, certainly. Uh, the fact that in 68 A.D. the Jews were fighting the Romans. Finally in 70 they're going to lose the fight and Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. And all the Jews in the city are chased out of the city. They are run out of the city and they will be dispersed even as they are today. Alright, now let's go on with verse, uh, well let me go ahead and read again. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never be the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year. How does it make perfect those who draw near to worship? Because it, it does. Uh, and, but it doesn't in, in terms of the significance that our Lord's table does, uh, because it has to be done year after year after year. So if it could, would they have not stopped being offered for the worshipers would have cleansed once for all and would no longer have filled, have felt guilty for their sins. So he's actually asking him the question. These are all reminders uh, and of what's going to happen in the future when you find it in the Old Testament uh, and find what the writers say. Uh, but uh, when Christ came, it was once for all. It was done. And uh, for those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. And they were done time and time again beginning in roughly in 14 or 50 so BC. But for you see it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And that tells us that everything they did in the Old Testament and in fact do today are merely, uh, uh, signs of that which will occur one day. And then it goes on this very famous verse, that's why Christ as he came into the world, said, just before he became baby Jesus, he made the statement, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said the Lord Jesus, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. A reference to what Jesus said, of course, after... Uh, or just before he became baby Jesus, in the cradle. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. It was necessary that he come in the form of Jesus Christ offering his kingdom to Israel. So Christ with his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension was the fulfillment of that portrayed by the Passover ritual. We often think of the Last Supper as a meal at which the Lord briefly taught His disciples concerning the meaning of the bread and the wine. I and mean, that's how it's very often presented in New Testament churches today. But He taught much more. Alright, traditionally therefore as a basis for the Lord's table, most pastors will only use Matthew 26, 20-30, Mark fourteen seventeen through 26 and Luke 22, 14-20, or some combination thereof. And these verses do well describe the meaning of the bread and the wine, but as we will see, there was much more talk by our Lord, both in the upper room, that is where they were eating, and on the road leading up the Mount of Olives. I want to list several of the major subjects taught. Uh, Jesus not only taught of the meaning of the bread and the wine, he also taught concerning our eternal security and the need to rebound for fellowship. Christ taught of the need for humility and impersonal love toward one another. He taught of the one who would betray Him, subtly designating Judas Iscariot as that man. And I'm going to suggest to you that you turn to page 10 and you take a look at John 13, 7-12. It's point 37 on page 10. And we're going to talk about the Luo and the Nipto, both translated washed. So if you will, uh, it's most important for us to uh, understand Luo and Nipto. And it also will help us understand that, well Frankly, he was teaching the disciples, you know, be kind to one another. Be sensitive to one another. Just as I'm going to wash your feet, uh, you need to, uh, have the same mental attitude towards your fellow disciples. So let's take a look then at John, uh, chapter 13, verse 7, 8, 9, and 10. Reading well out, let's go all the way through web, page, uh, excuse me, verse 12. Alright, and this will give us an idea of the importance of faith alone in Christ alone, and then the importance of naming your sin back to God when the Holy Spirit shows you a sin. And it was John who reveals this to us, not the writers of the synoptics. So uh, let me read, it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter talking to Peter in particular, but also all of the members that were there, the twelve disciples. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Alright, so uh, the word nipto means to wash either your hands or your feet. And uh, you're going to see it translated Wash. Each time, and he's talking about uh, the importance of washing of the hands and the feet, and it's symbolic of your naming your sins back to God, as John again three sixteen says. Not three sixteen. Excuse me. Uh, As John, first John one nine says, "If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness." So that is so important. Notice. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash, niptoe my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash, nip to thee not, thou hast no part with me. So it's stressing, the Lord is stressing to all the disciples that you need to understand, you need to cite your sin back to God as the Holy Spirit shows you uh, from time to time. I like to think of it as just being, yes, that's one that God took care of on the cross. In uh, the word for confess there is hama and it simply means to cite and agree as one would in a case. Let's say you're presenting your, your case and you're the lawyer and you're presented to the judge, and the judge reads the, what you said the law was in the case law, and uh, yes, you're correct. So you're naming the sin back to You're citing it. You're not feeling sorry for it necessarily. You just simply said, yes, I said this, yes, I did this, Uh, yes, I thought this. Uh, And it's one that you took care of on the cross because it's said in the Scripture, it's a sin. So it's important for us to know that. Now it goes on to make clear that we're going to have a difference between uh, Luo and Nipto. So let's take a look then at verse 9 in John 13. And then we'll return to our study In our lesson plan. Alright. Simon Peter saith unto him. Lord not my feet only. But also my hands and my head. In other words give me a whole back. That would be a luo. Uh, It's not unusual for Peter to say things like this. But he did. And then what did Jesus say? Jesus said to him. He that is. Luo. And there you have again the word translated wash. Needeth not but it's Luo, so we've got to change here. Uh he needs only after he has after you have been luo in other words, after you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, because now Luo means to faith alone in Christ alone. So after you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the only thing you need to do after that is to nipto. Uh, and of course he mentions to wash the feet. But it can also be the wash of the hands. But it's clean every way. Once you luo, everybody there is clean because they've all believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. All eleven of them, but not the twelfth one. Not Judas Iscariot. And ye are clean, but not all, he says. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed, nipped their feet, and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? And he goes on to tell them, You may not know now, but you will later on. So it's very important to understand the Lord Jesus Christ says you only luo one time. You only believe on the Lord Jesus Christ one time. Uh, And that's, of course... uh, uh we know, because I stress over and over again, once you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to do it again. In fact, it's a bit confrontational to the Trinity when you say it wasn't good enough. But it's faith alone in Christ alone. It has nothing to do with coming down the aisle, nothing to do by telling the pastor you're not going to do it again, by telling God you're not going to do it again. Or any manner of psychological hoops that you jump through. It's simply faith alone in Christ alone. And once that is done, that is it. Why? Because He did so much, that's why you do so little. You simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. He did so much and therefore you can do so little. So what's left for you to do? To nip toe, To name your sin back to God. And He uses this particular situation to stress the difference between the luo and the nipto. And if you just read it in the King James Version or the NIV, it doesn't differentiate between the two washes. It just simply calls it washing. Alright, now remember, he who knew no sin became sin for him in order that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, let's go back to where we were uh, and uh, see what we have to say here. Uh, On page three, we'll pick up right there on page three. All right. I didn't have time to redo this because we lost power in Rollingwood and they still say 80% of the people in Rollingwood do not have power. And in fact, I made the dumb statement to Tommy. I said, Tommy, I think I'll go ahead and uh, redo this so that we have a, uh, a, a finished lesson, an edited lesson. She said, good luck without any power. And it don't know me what's right. That computer does need, <laughs> that computer does, computer does need power, doesn't it? All right. Jesus predicted the loss of his disciples. I'm going to page four now. Predicted the loss of the disciples and how they would feel when He departed the planet. Our Savior also comforted His disciples and us by teaching of His ultimate return. Jesus taught our new privilege in prayer and the coming of God the Holy Spirit to indwell each believer because we would be leaving to be with the Father. He would be leaving to be with the Father where He would build mansions for us. And that's what he's doing now. He's up there building a mansion for each and every one of us, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, that we will see one day after we're raptured and get our resurrection body. and And I don't know how it's all going to work, but it's going to be great. So Christ taught of the teaching ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. I often say, from up here behind the pulpit, I am simply uh, presenting. And God the Holy Spirit is teaching, which is why it's so necessary for you to come down, sit down, be quiet, listen, name your sin back to God. No matter how often it occurs that your Holy Spirit teaches you that was a sin, that thought you had, uh, you go ahead and silently cite it, name it to God, and then the Holy Spirit will teach you. So Christ taught of the teaching ministry of God the Holy Spirit, and we have a doctrine of the Holy Spirit, of course, on the Internet under, again, Pastor Merritt's study books. Uh, you can certainly go there. com, and uh, take a look at the Holy Spirit. We actually have three different doctrines of Holy Spirit depending upon which age uh, the Holy Spirit and how He operated differently in each of the ages. As we have noted, there are different ages, of course, on the uh, dispensation chart. All right, Christ taught of the teaching ministry then of God the Holy Spirit, the new intimacy of Gentile believers as grafted branches. He taught of the world's attitude toward us because he would be leaving, and he warned of our persecution in this, the devil's world. All of this was taught to the disciples in the upper room or on the way to the Mount of Olives. So he also predicted his ascension. And what would follow his ascension? In other words, his death and resurrection, and then in conclusion, our Lord said a prayer to the Father for all his saints who would be left behind. So these extensive dissertations are recorded only in John's Gospel. And again, example, John chapter 13, verse 1 through John chapter 17, verse 26. Uh, So I have often taught our Lord and how He instructed the disciples concerning eternal security. We have a doctrine of eternal security. Eight approaches to eternal eternal security. To show that once you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's done. And there's nothing you can do to get out of that particular uh, situation that you placed yourself on when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So take a look then at the doctrine, the eight approaches to eternal security on the internet. All right, and he taught of the need to rebound, of course, as we've just read, and uh, the need to display meekness and humility toward one another. So when we think about the Lord's table, we had to think that he taught quite extensively in the upper room and then on the way uh, up the mountain. All right, let's go on now. This morning I would like to review John 13, 18-30 and the doctrine of Judas Iscariot and then we will celebrate our Lord's table. And as we talk about Judas Iscariot, uh, I think it's best to say in advance he was not a believer. The Lord makes this clear. And in addition, therefore, uh, he uh, will one day have to appear before the great white throne well, He will be ultimately cast into the lake of fire. Alright, I have often talked then of the Lord and how He instructed in many matters, not just those that are cited in the synoptic gospel. The synoptics being Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So let's see what John has to say here beginning in John 13, 18. I am not referring to all of you I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the Scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am He. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that would probably be John, uh, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple, most likely John, and said, Ask him which one he means. So leaning back back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is he?" Then Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread after I have dipped it in the dish. So he gave him some indication who it would be because he was about to take his bread and dip it in the dish and he's going to hand it to Judas Iscariot. Then dipping the piece of bread... In the salsa, uh, he gave it to Judas uh, Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, said Jesus. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. They were concerned when he got up to walk out, of course. Since Judas had charge of the monies, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast, in other words, to pay for it, or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Now, in the list of the twelve disciples, Judas Iscariot is designated by the stigma, "He who betrayed him," and we will see that in Matthew ten four, Mark three nineteen, and Luke six sixteen. So, there's no doubt about uh, this traitor himself. I'm going to read those verses. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out from the follow- with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or any- any town of the Samaritans. Very interesting verse because he sent out the disciples to witness and who went with them? Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. These are questions that are not answered in scripture. We can ask them when we die or the rapture occurs, whichever occurs first. Lord, why did You send an unbeliever out to witness? And uh, again, we might be surprised the answer that we get. Alright, now let's go to Mark three sixteen, reading through verse 19. Again we see, These are the twelve He appointed, Simon, to whom He gave the name Peter, Jane, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them He gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So there's a list of our disciples. I have been asked many times, could you list the disciples for me? I know, but you can find it in the Scripture. (laughs) Because the names do change from various passages. Not that they're different people, but they're called different things. Alright, now let's go on Luke chapter 6, verse 13, reading through verse 16. When morning came, He called His disciples to Him and chose twelve whom He also designated apostles. Simon, who He named Peter, His brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot. Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot again, who became a traitor? All right. At the same time, Judas is also called one of the twelve. Uh, he gave him every opportunity that he gave the other eleven. Notice John six seventy-one, and he designated one of the twelve uh, again, one of the disciples in John twelve four. Then in Mark fourteen ten, then Judas is carried one of the twelve went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. And then verse 20 of Mark 14. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. And then verse 71, again in John 6, as we've seen, he meant Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve was later to betray him. All right, John 12, 4 and 5. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, object him. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. I often say he was one of the first liberals, one of the first progressives. Alright, Judas was also called a devil in John six seventy. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? The word devil is a translation from Diabolos. It has several Greek renderings. Uh, but this one means the slanderer. Now there is no mention of Judas Iscariot prior to his selection by Christ. Judas served as the treasurers for the disciples. Again, John twelve 4, 5, and 6. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected Same story we've read elsewhere just now. He wait, wait. why wasn't that perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor. No, no, no. But because he was a thief as a keeper of the money bag. Uh, And he used to help himself from time to time uh, as uh, he found the money in there that he uh, would... uh, Steal. S-T-E-A-L. Alright, John 13.29 says Judas had charge of the money. Some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast. Again, or to give something to the poor. Now, as we have seen in John 12.6, he often embezzled funds from time to time. And in fact, was characterized as a thief. Alright, his true character, with its avarice and righteousness, Revealed itself at the anointing of Jesus by Mary Magdalene, and of course we have just studied that. All right, Jesus pretended, along with the other disciples, that his concern had to do with the waste, and that the expensive, uh, of course, that of that expensive perfume that she brought, and how it should have been sold and the proceeds given to the poor, and of course you can see that in John twelve verses 1 through 5, and I'll read. It says six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of nard, an expensive perfume, As she poured on Jesus' feet and wiped His feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, was later to betray Him, objected. Why was it this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now though he became a disciple and follower of Jesus, Judas did not accept Him as Lord. Judas never called him more than rabbi which means teacher. Matthew 26:25 then Judas the one who would betray him said surely not I rabbi Jesus answered yes it is you. That is to say it is you who is going to betray me and who is right now betraying me as found in Matthew 26:25. Judas expected Christ to establish an earthly kingdom in which he would have an important position. Ken and I were talking before the service about the real problem that Judas seemed to have uh, was not the fact that he was also full of avarice and greed and wanted uh, the money, but he didn't like the idea that Jesus came. And by the way, neither did Mary or the brothers of Jesus. And he didn't like the fact he didn't set up his kingdom on earth. Uh, but instead, had this crazy plan of going to the cross and taking care of the sins, the sin problem of the world. Uh, so it just didn't quite bother him because he also had an idea that well, if he comes, sets up his kingdom on earth, I know I'll be probably, as I told Kenneth, Secretary of Treasury. All right, now let's go until uh, so until that happened, he was. Uh, he was happy to enrich himself from the common funds. It did trouble him to hear the Lord describe his kingdom as a spiritual kingdom. Now Christ did not set up his kingdom on earth, ride the white horse and drive many, many soldiers against the Romans, because there was no positive volition on the part of some number of Jews who had they accepted him, and I don't know what that number is, and neither does anyone else that I've ever read but uh, there was some number that had to receive him, and it uh, goes from some who say it had to be all of them, to those who said it had to be 50 percent, you know, to those who said, well, maybe 75 percent, but nobody knows. All right, let's look at John 6:63 6, and 64. The spirit gives life. the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of the disciples did not believe and who would betray him. So the refusal of Christ to establish an earthly kingdom angered Judas, as did Christ's periodic reference to his death. Wycliffe writes in his Bible encyclopedia, The final incident which drove Judas to betray Jesus was the expensive anointing at Bethany coupled with Christ's clear decorations, she did it for my burial. And I would probably take exception to what Winston Rice said. was more than that. It was uh, part and parcel of what I've just described for you. And the fact that Christ did not set up an earthly kingdom. And that's what he wanted. Uh, and of course, that's what a lot of Jews wanted. And it would take God the Holy Spirit later to convince certain people that... Uh, you know, had they believed he would have done that, but because they didn't, that is some number of Jews, uh, he did not set up an earthly kingdom, but it must await the church age, the rapture, and then the millennium. So you can also read about that uh, in John twelve seven, 7, uh, as he defends, of course, uh, the lady, which was, of course, one of Lazarus' Uh, sisters, Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. That's quite a declaration if you'll read my doctrine of the poor. Again, on the internet, uh, you will see a great deal of information about the poor. And this scripture is used to indicate that uh, you will always have the poor with you. There will never be a time on planet earth until the Lord returns. So though Christ chose Judas, uh, knowing that He would betray him still, He showed him constant compassion, gave him a complete revelation of himself, and many warnings, He humbly washed Judas' feet along with the other disciples, And he said, you are clean, but not all. John 3.10 Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. There was one who still needed a luo bath. And that was Judas Iscariot. All right, I'm going to stop right there. You have, of course, the lesson and it will be on the Internet in its entirety. And uh, I want us to now prepare for the Lord's table. And to do that, I think the best way is to uh, prepare by asking Ken to come. And lead us to a you know, singing of When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Ken, let's go ahead and do the two verses, first and last verses, of hymn number 99. And this is in preparation for the celebration of the Lord's table. To hymn number 99, you can stand if you so choose or able. Kenneth, if you would please. Kim and Wayne, if you would come forward, please, and assist in the celebration of the Lord's table. You may uncover the sacraments. In order to prepare for the real Passover meal, we need to pause for a moment of silent prayer during which you may confess your sins uh, as may or may not be necessary. And then at the end of that very short moment, I will close by asking God's blessing uh, of our celebration of the Lord's Supper. Thank You, Father, for Your forgiveness for both time and eternity. Now, I ask that God the Holy Spirit will make this large table uniquely meaningful. Help us to recall the wonderful work of Jesus and aid us as we examine how we are doing with reference to becoming more like our Lord and Savior. I pray this in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Now, we do not in this church recognize what some calls closed communion. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, you may certainly participate in the Lord's table. I would stress, however, that it is a solemn ceremony. Paul warned the Corinthians that many of them were sick, and some had even died because of their abuse of the Lord's table. We read about that in First Corinthians eleven twenty nine and thirty, where Paul wrote, "For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep." All right, the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, about which we just studied took the bread and broke it before giving it to His disciples. The bread that we shall eat today represents His body which was broken for us. The unleavened nature of the bread represents His sinless condition. He was peccable and yet impeccable. He was capable of sin but He chose not to sin. Once more let us pray. Father, thank You for Your presence. Help us to remember You in all we do. We are indeed awed by the example of our Savior, who like a lamb without spot, went to the cross in absolute perfection, making our so great salvation possible. Now bless this bread, and give us understanding of its true meaning. For I ask this in the name of the King of kings and Lord of lords, Even Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Please retain the bread until all have been served. You may serve the bread. At the last Passover celebration in our first Lord's table, the Lord broke the bread and said, Take eat, this is my body which was broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your uniquely born Son and the shedding of His blood so beautifully symbolic of His spiritual death and, of course, the atonement for sin. Impress upon each of us the meaning and full implication of our Lord's work for I do indeed ask this in the name of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords even Jesus our Savior amen again please retain the cup until all have been served you may serve the juice that last Passover and first Lord's table, the Lord said, as oft as you drink this cup, you do it in remembrance of Me. Now let's turn to hymn number 188. sing together Amazing Grace By way of announcements, I did want to mention that we're going to have prayer meeting only Wednesday. Uh, We'll meet at 6.30. I will not have a Bible study as such, though I might put something on the internet. But I feel that's necessary in order that we can uh, get an idea about how things are going in the various families and the special needs that are on that list. So there is a list right here to my left where we have people listed. And uh, I just assume that we need to continue to pray uh, for those that are on the list unless you tell me otherwise. So uh, I'd like to know about you and I'd like to know about your families and then those who come also to pray uh, feel uh, special because they get to pray for your needs. Each and every need of each and every person and each and every family. And uh we do have special needs. All right, let's close out with a prayer. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to to study your word, to celebrate the Lord's table, and we do thank you so much for the gift of your uniquely born and only born Son, the Lord Jesus Christ that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So now I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which we have studied, that which we have celebrated, make it real, in order that we might become more like our Lord and Savior. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.